Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this Sunday is our first lesson, Acts 1, verses 9 through 26, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear friends in Christ, do you remember what it was like way back? No, even further back than the pandemic, way back when people had to wait for things like their food at the restaurant or for the doctor to see them or for their car's oil to be changed. And they, they didn't have smartphones or even gaming devices or iPods. Remember when people would use the time that they spent waiting to think? To have conversations with the people around them? To dream big dreams or to come up with new ideas or, or maybe even read a book or a magazine? It is a symptom of our hyper-connected, over-stimulated world that so many of us have become so addicted to distraction. If there is a minute free and unscheduled, we, we feel compelled to fill it with, with social media, with texts, with games, or email. We make ourselves constantly busy, but we often find that we don't get anything of consequence done because we, well, because when we overfill our time, we end up also overfilling our minds. Christ's disciples and their fellow believers did not have smartphones to distract them, but they had a similar problem. They were in danger of filling the time they spent waiting, doing unproductive things that weren't going to be good for them. First, they were going to have to wait for the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised them, and then they would have to wait, wait a much longer time to see Jesus again when he returns to earth in the same way that he went to heaven. Through his faithful messengers, the angels, and through his word, the Lord gave his people then the guidance that they needed, and it gives his people today direction also. As we look for Christ to return to us, we learn from Acts 1 what to do while waiting. Now, his disciples knew that waiting was their first order of business. Earlier in Acts 1, we found Jesus telling them, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father promised, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But immediately after their Lord and Master ascended into heaven, they really didn't even have that waiting right. They they were understandably confused and emotional after what they had just seen and experienced. Their minds would have been full of questions and concerns, and and their hearts would have been full of of wonder and fear, of, of loss and uncertainty. But Jesus had left them with something infinitely greater than all of their troubled thoughts and feelings. They knew the truth about why he had come 
what he had accomplished and and why it had been time for him to return home to heaven where he had come from. Though the Holy Spirit had not yet come to lead them into the, the fuller understanding and a stronger faith, still they knew that Christ had come to seek and to save the lost, not to take and rule an earthly kingdom. This knowledge was spiritual dynamite. Really, it was not the only reason, not only the reason that God sent his son into the world, but also the reason that sinful men, Satan's co-conspirators, had him crucified. Now, all people are sinners, conceived and born that way and practiced in sinning since birth. God's feelings on sin are not in the least unclear. It is an offense against everything that he is, and the cost of even one sin is eternal separation from his love. As Paul put it in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. No one, no one wants to go to hell. It was created as a place of punishment for the devil and his evil angels when they rebelled against God at the very beginning. And so the fear of death and damnation leads people to to make plans to avoid the consequences of their disobedience and unholy lives. So first, what they do is they convince themselves that it is possible to fix their problem of sin themselves. They convince themselves that they are, if not already, good enough for heaven, that they are able to make themselves and keep themselves good enough through living good lives, through doing good things, through avoiding bad things, and by being good at some kind of religion. And then they follow through with their works and their sincerity. This is what the Pharisees who opposed Jesus so obviously advocated, but it is also the default approach to the fear of death and damnation for every sinner. And it would never work for the Pharisees, and it doesn't work for anyone else either. Because what is required to escape hell and enter heaven is perfect righteousness. No offenses ever against God's will and complete obedience to his commands. And since everyone starts life already tainted by sin and no one has the ability to get rid of any guilt that they have already gained from sinning, none of us are able in any way to escape God's justice, let alone qualify for heaven. But when no other way out is offered or appreciated, people double down on the good deeds and righteous posturing. And that's where Jesus came in. God never wanted anyone to die. He doesn't like sending anyone to hell. So what his justice requires is love determined to provide. He sent His Son to be our 
substitute to save us. Jesus taught a way to heaven that relied entirely on God's grace, on his undeserving love, undeserved love for undeserving sinners, and that rejected any reliance on self-righteousness. And this, this other way, this radical way of salvation angered the Pharisees and others whose power and reputations were built on a a futile foundation of empty obedience. So they arranged for his suffering and death on a cross. But their plotting was all according to God's plan. Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, was sacrificed there for the sins of all the world. And his blood washes us clean of all our guilt. His Easter resurrection from the dead means that all who put their trust in Him and His work will also rise and live forever with Him in paradise. And it is all at no cost to the sinner. There are no sacrifices required, no gifts that must be offered, no great works that must be done. There's no quid pro quo. Our entire salvation, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, even the faith that takes hold of these things, God gives to us in love for Jesus' sake. That is the gospel. Christ does everything for us. The Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need in the gospel. And that, that is the dynamite that Christ had left the disciples with when he ascended. So then, what were they going to do with it as they waited for him to return? Stand around, staring up into the sky? Well, hardly. And yet, that is exactly what they were doing. And ironically, sadly, tragically, what so many Christians really have done ever since. Many even wasting their time trying to puzzle out exactly when and exactly how Jesus will come back, which is pretty much exactly the opposite of what Jesus had told them to do before his ascension. And this is why the angels ask the disciples and ask us as well. Why? Why are you still standing here? Jesus will come back, but in the meantime, didn't your Lord tell you to do something? It was a nicer, gentler way of saying, get moving. The gospel means something. It matters. You cannot act as though your lives are no different now, now that you know what you know and believe what you believe. Get moving. The disciples did get moving, though at first it may not have seemed like they did much. But all big things start off small, and this was just as the Lord had intended. Our text tells us that the faithful eleven, plus some others, committed themselves to praying together. 
But it was not just a, a room of people, you know, taking turns, asking God for what they thought was best, which, which wouldn't be the same as, as what the next person thought was best. No, Luke tells us that all of them kept praying together with one mind. There is a word for followers of Christ joined together in unity and agreement like that. That word is church. Though we count the birth of the Christian church as Pentecost, which hadn't happened just yet, that is still what that first group of believers showed themselves to be as they waited. And that is what we also will work and commit ourselves to be as we wait. Whether we are waiting for the Spirit to do something amazing among us as they were, waiting for Christ's return, waiting for a prayer to be answered, waiting for the end of some pain or struggle, or or simply waiting for the end of these COVID-19 restrictions. We will be Christ's church, united in belief, teaching, and confession, devoted to each other in love, determined to be of service to God, to each other, and to our neighbors, and active in presenting a witness to the world, both in our words and in our lives, so that the unbelief of sinners may be exploded with this dynamite, and that gospel of salvation may be embraced in faith. This is who God has made us And this is what Christ has called us to be. Fellowship is not just being in the same place at the same time doing the same thing. Fellowship is not contributing to a potluck or sharing a meal. That's not all that it is. It is so much more. So in all things and at all times, while we wait, we will be the church. Which means that we will also use the tools that Christ has left us. And and foremost among these is, is His Word. Peter sets us the example here. While the believers were assembled, waiting for what God would do next, he pointed them to the Scriptures to guide them in their next steps. They recognized a problem that neither Jesus nor His angels had given them specific instructions about, And so they went where they knew that they could always find God's will laid out, the Scriptures. We are wise to do the same. That's what the Lord gave us the Bible for. So when we are waiting for answers, waiting for justice, for changes, waiting for improvement, for health, for safety, for a job, waiting for a break, for love, for a friend, for whatever. We look to the Word. We won't find every question answered, but we will learn everything that we need to know and have there everything we need to use. Paul reminds us of the the value to us individually and to us as a congregation and to the church as a whole 
the value of the Scriptures in, in 2 Timothy 3. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, well-equipped for every good work. Every good work. It was not entirely clear to that group of 120 what exactly Christ had in mind for them to do, but they were ready and eager to do whatever they could. They saw a need or a problem that was within their power to fix, with the Spirit's help, of course. There were supposed to be 12 disciples, 12 apostles, 12 that Jesus would send out as his special representatives and leaders, messengers to the world. But when Jesus, or excuse me, but when Judas not only betrayed Jesus, but committed suicide, well, there were only 11 left. So they set out to replace him. And after consulting the scriptures, selecting appropriate candidates, and praying about it. They selected Matthias, and he took Judas's place among the twelve. That lesson of doing the work that you can while you're waiting is an important one for us today. So often we get, let ourselves get, get paralyzed by indecision or allow the, the perfect solution to become the enemy of the good one. Sometimes we just get lazy. Sometimes we just wait for somebody else to do the thing that needs to be doing. Sometimes we think that since God's taking so long to do what he said he was going to do, that, well, there's no point in us doing anything just yet. But we have been given things to do. We have our individual vocations and their responsibilities, and we have our calling as the church and calling as this church. And every challenge to our faith or life together and every problem to be solved is an opportunity. Like the servants in Christ's parable of the talents, no matter how long we wait, we want to be found faithfully at work when our master returns. Chances are you already know what it is that you or we can or should be doing. And, and if you don't, your brothers and sisters can help figure it out. But we will not use a long wait as an excuse for inaction. We do the work we can with the time we have been given. But above all, in whatever time we have and for however long we have to wait, above all, we trust in the Lord. We might take this just as, as a given and not think about it. Well, of course we trust in the Lord, but the apostles and their small group of fellow believers showed how important, even how urgent it is to remember to rely on God and not just operate in some kind of spiritual cruise control. They, they took God at his word. They counted on what Christ had told them. They 
prayed for guidance and for blessing. And most of all, they trusted in his grace and mercy for the forgiveness and the new life that they all needed. They were sinners too. They trusted him, not just in light of how they had failed him in his passion, but even more in light of the work that lay ahead of them and the struggles and the sufferings that lay ahead of them too. By the time Peter wrote his first letter, he and the church were well acquainted with hard times, all while waiting for Christ to return and make things right for his people. Like Christians of every age, they suffered for doing good, for following Jesus even when that put them at odds with the culture around them and the people that they lived among, worked for, talked to, and, and tried to serve. The apostle tells us what Jesus warned us about as well numerous times, that the time we spend waiting for him and his appointed time that will be filled with suffering for his name. Having that warning, we will not be surprised, but we also will not be weak, and we won't ever need to be afraid, because we can trust him absolutely, unconditionally, and eternally to take care of us, no matter what happens no matter who opposes or hurts us, no matter how long we wait or how hard waiting is. Peter, with the confidence that we all have because we know what the Lord has done for us already in Jesus Christ, Peter invites and encourages us simply to look to the Lord for everything we need. And we will have it. Let's read again from our second lesson. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's powerful hand so that he may lift you up at the appointed time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Have sound judgment. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him by being firm in the faith. This is what we do while we wait for the Lord. Amen. Please rise. And we continue with Peter's reading. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.